Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about some massive news from AGL. What the AGL just happened? We will tell you all hello down there. We're also going to be talking about power prices, which are surging, excuse the pun. We're also going to have a little chat about some of our favourite critters, some good news around bilbies and quolls and a whole lot more. I'm Ant Sharwood. I write environment books. I present this podcast. Uh, and I do so alongside Elfie Scott. How are you today, Elfie? Hi there. I'm good, thank you. Hi, I'm Elfie Scott. I'm a journalist and a writer. Um, and also, when I walked into the studio today, I saw Ant consuming his first ever oat coffee, which mm. was very exciting news. I feel like it trumps the entire week's news. Yeah, look, uh, 20 minutes of oat milk talk coming up now, plus a bit of environment. Um <laughs> Green news, whatever else, but really oat milk, it's good. I thought it would be terrible. Um, I'm a bit of an anti-hipster, Elfie. Um, It's not hipster to drink oat milk, and it's very acceptable now. Well, look, I'm just a dad from the suburbs, and you're this kind of cool person from the cool suburbs. (laughs) Oat milk might be normal in your world. It's a little unusual in my world. Just just a little offbeat. Wow. Oh, you're an oat milk person, really? Wow. I feel like the stigma of nut and alternative milk drinkers is totally non-existent where I come from. Well, in my my zone, I'm I'm, I'm now that oat guy, but that's okay because I'm happy being that oat guy. What I'm not so happy about is electricity prices going up and I think we should transition into our first story for the day. Yep. Let's get into the news. So Australians are starting to see a big jump in household energy bills, and that is because benchmark electricity prices are set to rise. Ant, you spoke to a researcher about why this was happening. Can you please walk me through it? And does it all have to do with what's happening in Ukraine at the moment? A little bit, yeah. I, I spoke to Bruce Robertson today. He's an energy guru, you might say. He he uh, works for AIFA, which is the International Energy uh, something and finance <laughs> finance agency you can look them up they're terrific and uh look there are three reasons there are three main reasons why wholesale prices are rising mm-hmm. in australia just firstly off the bat the loyang power station broke down uh you know massive power station in in, in victoria in the latrobe valley kind of just went hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was loyang but that that's what's happening with our with our ancient or aging, at least, coal-fired fleet of power stations oh, out no, there. no, they're not working anymore. No, they're not. So it's just yet another reason why, hello, fossil fuel, goodbye fossil fuel, needs to be more or less the uh, abbreviated version of, of the Australian energy story in the next few years. But look, apart from that particular breakdown uh, and others, high coal prices and high gas prices internationally. Now, Australia exports something like 80% of those commodities that we produce. So most of it goes overseas uh, when various factors such as the war in Ukraine and other factors coming out of COVID or a bunch of things. When when, uh, factors overseas conspire to rise prices there, we feel it here. That is why the wholesale price has jumped by something like 140%. Ugh. Um, so not good. It's going to flow through the pockets. It'll end up probably being a political issue sooner rather than later. But, you know, the the absolute 
base of the issue, the base load, if you like, is right now that power prices are rising. Sure. And just for the audience, I think that it's fairly likely that in the coming weeks, we're going to see some rhetoric from the opposition saying that this is due to the Labor government and their failure of uh, energy management. Is that true? Not not really, no. In, in fact, you know, there's actually speaking to, again, Bruce Robertson today, the, the energy analyst, um, there's actually been a failure by all parties, uh, Labor and Liberal in the uh, sorry, Liberal more recently and Labor in the past by all governments um, to keep more of these fossil fuels here. We all want to phase out gas and coal entirely as soon as possible, but we still need them to keep the lights on as things stand now. That's reality. We're sending too much of it overseas, as I said, and that policy can be changed. That policy can be changed tomorrow. Don't think it will be, but it has been in the West. They keep a lot more there. Guess what? Prices are lower there. You mm. know, the West have a different grid to the East Coast, and they are not going to experience this massive surge in power bills that we are, those of us who live here in the East Coast of Australia. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, let's talk about another energy story because new research has come out this week that has basically looked at how much money investors are set to lose globally when we're looking at stranded fossil fuel assets. So this team of researchers looked at over 43,000 oil and gas production assets worldwide and the risks that people were taking on by investing in these projects over the next 15 years. And it amounts to about 1.9 trillion Australian dollars in future losses as the world moves to decarbonise and turns to clean energy, which is a not insignificant amount of money. I don't happen to have that on hand. Um, what do you make of this story? 1.9 trillion. Let's call it 2 trillion. Right? Let's call it 2 trillion. And I sit up and take notice when someone says trillion. Um, when you're a kid, someone would say a million and you'd go, wow, that's this unimaginably large. And then you got bored of millions and, you know, billions can still impress you. But if you hear someone's a billionaire these days, there's a lot of billionaires out there. Someone says a trillion. I'm like, what? True. A trillion. Now, look, as it turns out, it's, I almost don't know how to cheer, who to cheer for here because a lot of us have investments in fossil fuels without realising it. Mm, this is true. Has super, anybody looked at their super fund recently? Has anyone looked at their super? Not everyone has changed to ethical super or green super or whatever. Um, so, you know, this this story that we could have $2 trillion in stranded assets, which basically means, oops, I just invested in CDs and woke up and it's 2020 and nobody needs those CDs <laughs> anymore. That's what a stranded asset is. Um it's it's potentially bad news for a lot of everyday Australians. Mm. So it's it, here's the moral to this story. Have a look at your super. Yeah. Your share portfolios. Um, have a look at what you know. This this is not just wealthy people who love coal who stand to lose a bunch of money. Boo hoo. Who cares? Yeah, it's all of us. Um, yeah, but but to see it written in one place this week that the value of stranded uh, assets could be two trillion, and 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 we've. Um, covered before on the Green Canary just a few weeks ago and, and, and listeners can scroll back through our potties just three or four um, episodes back we were talking about the death of coal uh, mm. from a financial point of view it's making less and less sense here's more evidence yeah yeah absolutely and I love that moral of the story just go and look at your super fund yeah. why not it takes like 
three minutes to change. Yeah. I'm going to be honest because I did it this year and it did not take a huge amount of time. I remember we were talking about that, so it wasn't complicated. No, it took, yeah, at most half an hour. Really? At most, yeah. Really? Yeah. All right, let's go and have a look at our big news story of the week. This is the headline that you will most likely have woken up to this morning because it is huge. All right, so... AGL have been thrown into absolute turmoil today. Um, As many of you may know, AGL is the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions in Australia. Its coal and gas power stations amount to about 8% of the nation's uh, total, total carbon footprint. And yeah, it has been a chaotic moment for the company. And do you mind telling me what you know about it and also a little bit about the interview that you did? Look, I reckon we'll throw straight to the interview and we can talk about it coming out. Okay. Because Bruce Robertson, who I've mentioned already today, uh, it, it explains it better than, than anyone else. Now, he is a gas and LNG, as in liquefied natural gas, uh, natural gas sorry, uh, analyst um, with IEFA, who I almost identified correctly before. They are, in fact, the Institute for Energy Economics and Financial Analysis. Thank you, so, Google. Yeah, indeed. So we've got a uh, story about a massive Australian uh, gas company, AGL, essentially a gas company, AGL. Who better than a gas analyst to tell us exactly what happened? So let's hear from Bruce Robertson. So Bruce Robertson, what exactly has happened today? Well, what we've seen is we've seen the uh, Australian billionaire Mike Cannon-Brooks, who owns Atlassian, the the large computer-based company. Uh, He bought a big stake in AGL uh, of over 10%, and he has forced other institutions to come on board with him and defeat the board and the management's uh, desires to demerge AGL and turn it into two companies, essentially uh, the AGL that's uh, the retailer of electricity and uh, producer of clean electricity and the dirty part of AGL, which is the very large, very, very large uh, coal-fired generators that it owns. And by stepping in as he did was Cannon Brooks trying somehow to put the dirty side of AGL out of business? Well, in a way, yes. Um, What is planned for the company is is not to demerge it, because if you demerge it, essentially you have one company that's almost rogue, you know, like it's just going to go on producing coal-fired power until, until, you know, it basically can't afford to anymore. Um, whereas he's hoping to keep it as one company and to have a progressive decarbonisation strategy for it. It won't be overnight what he's proposing. He's still, we still actually do, unfortunately, need the coal generators for quite some time because we haven't built enough capacity in the market yet to keep the lights on. It's, it's really that simple. You actually need to build out capacity prior to closing large generation sources. And this is something that Australia really hasn't been very good at doing, is planning planning for, for closures of, of, of large power stations. We're getting better at it, 
Um, we have put in place regulations now that, that, that mean there's notice for closure, which gives people time to build, build out capacity. Okay, so can you just talk us through a bit of the insider machinations here? How did um, Cannon Brooks thwart what it very much looks like the, the um, board of AGL want, really wanted? Oh, it is certainly what the board of AGL wanted, and they've been wanting it for quite some time. He did it, first of all, by launching two takeover bids, uh, both of which were rejected. Then he went the route of buying a stake in the company of over 10% um, and, and basically chatting to other shareholders and getting their support for the idea that the best way forward for AGL is not to bust it up. Um, uh, the best way forward for shareholders is actually to manage the, um, the coal-fired power stations out, out, of, out of the company over time. Cannon Brooks has tweeted today that this is a good day for Australia. Uh, is it? And why? It's a good day for Australia for, 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 for one fundamental reason. We can't afford to continue to produ produce coal-fired power for as long as it would have occurred under, under, um, under the demerger proposal. It's far more likely we'll see an accelerated closure now of these power plants. Um, and AGL will use the cash flow from the coal-fired power to, to actually um, develop new sources of, of generation and keep the company in better shape overall. So, uh, you know, as, as you put it there, uh, Cannon Brooks, as you say, there's a long way to go, but he has achieved uh, part of what he set out to do, which is to set this huge monolithic, some would say, uh, mostly fossil fuels company in a greener path. Undoubtedly, he's, he has been successful. I mean, uh, the, you know, the, the thwarting of the merger is a big deal. It's a big deal. You know, you've seen the managing director and, um, and, and chairman resign because of it. You'll probably see some more board members um, resign because of it. Um, you will see some change at this company. There's just no doubt about it. Um, you're going to see change. And it's a change for the positive, um, both for shareholders of, of AGL and for the broader community. You know, like we do need to see quite rapid decarbonisation of our electricity system if we're to have any hope of meeting our own modest net zero uh, ambitions. We do need to see no new coal and gas being being um, propagated if we are to see um, achieve our, our modest um, net zero targets. We do need to pursue a greener life. AGL may just stand for a greener life going forward. Thank you very, very much for speaking with the Green Canary today. Bruce Robertson, Energy guru with IEFA and other people. Appreciate it. Thank you All very right. much, Anne. All right. So that was a brilliant interview. Thank you so much for bringing that to us, Anne. Um, so that was Bruce Robertson, the energy finance analyst from 
AIFA, the Institute <laughs> from Energy, Economics and Financial Analysis. So yeah, that was really interesting. And I thought it was so fascinating what he was saying about the way that this was going to fundamentally change AGL's direction. Like we are going to see an acceleration of decarbonization and a movement away from all of their old massive fossil fuel assets. Um, and it's going to be very fascinating seeing what happens with AGL in the coming weeks. We're likely to see a continued exodus of AGL's leaders uh, including the chief executive, as he said. Mm. And, you know, uh, I think that Mike Cannon-Brooks is now pushing for a couple more people from Grok Ventures to hit the board of AGL. And in the past, I'm not sure whether or not he is still saying this, but he has suggested in the past that he could actually end up becoming the director of AGL, which is pretty massive. Um, yeah, this is in a word. It's an overused word these days, but boy, it applies today and it applies in the right way. Disruption. I thought you were about to say unprecedented. No, I was like, don't no, do it, Ant, no, not again. I won't go there, I won't go there. <laughs> and I don't use iconic either. That's the other worst cliche in journalism. But this, this was proper disruption by Mike Cannon-Brooks. He disrupted them. He messed them up. It was mm. terrific. And Bruce Robertson laid that out so clearly. I, I mean... You should go and listen to his, that interview, that five minutes twice. I mean, you're too kind saying it was a brilliant interview. What we had was a brilliant subject with Bruce, who's really good at just laying out a mixture of facts and storytelling in an easy-to-listen-to package. So uh, I know you're listening, Bruce. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. All right, now we are going to head into Mulch, which are the tiny, curious clippings of news stories that we liked this week. All right, Ant, we're going to talk about dugongs and turtles. Please hit me up. What is this story? You are so excited about the poor old dugongs and turtles who are not having a good time, oh, Elfie. Oh, shoot. This is a bad story, tone isn't check. it? Oh, tone boy. check, Elfie. Tone check. Yeah, no, that's all right. The, uh, look, it's, it's a story worth sharing. The the floods. Did you know we've had some floods on the east coast of Australia this year? I've heard about them, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Floodwaters murkify. I'm trying to find a better verb. They make water murky. Can I say they murkify the water? Anyway, they muddy can, the water. Although it sounds dirty. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, muddy, murky um, waters, which, which you know, there's been enough flood water to carry out to sea, totally ruins seagrass. Uh, seagrass needs sunlight. Mm. Uh, they're not getting enough of it. Large seagrass beds in the vicinity of the Great Barrier Reef, a part of the uh, Queensland coast, have died. This is a little bit tragic. That's shocking news for turtles and dugongs, which graze upon them. Um, we don't know what the percentage uh, decline is yet, but I think we, we've got figures from 91 when there, were, there was a big kill-off. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so in 1991, there was a huge kill-off of seagrass. And the year after that, they saw a 20% decline in the number of dugong calves, which yeah. is horrendous and like such a massive impact it's one of those stories where you just you forget the sort of rolling effects of these kind of environmental disasters and it just keeps going on and on and touching the environment in these ways that we just wouldn't suspect such a good point i mean you know you can attribute the, the hand of climate to to so many different things most of them sadly in queensland but we do have this new rule on the green canary podcast it's been a rule for about six weeks actually now Bad animal story, good animal story. What you yeah. got What you got on the good <laughs> side of the ledger, Elfie? All right. So in positive news, uh, this week we're going to talk about a story of conservationists trying to rewild a massive patch of Central Australia. 
Uh, basically, they're trying to reintroduce species that were doing really well before European settlement brought in invasive species, ruined the land, and totally killed them off. So a key species that they're trying to introduce back into this area are 32 greater bilbies, which are a threatened species. And they're also introducing 65 burrowing betongs. Have you ever seen a photo of a betong or seen a betong? Ant? I haven't seen a betong. I've seen a bandicoot. If you want to, if you want to play bee marsupials, uh, I think the one of the three I've actually seen with my eyes is a bandicoot, but not a betong or a bilby, no. Oh, well, betongs are so cute. They really? look like fat little rats. They're adorable. They're just chubby rats. And basically, <laughs> both of those animals, bilbies and betongs, are really good diggers. And so they've introduced them back into this patch of land because what they're going to do is shift heaps of earth around and they'll make it much more sustainable for other species to move in and natural wildlife and trees and things like that. So. Yeah. Fantastic. It is fantastic. And I believe Taronga Zoo, um, their Western Plains facility in Dubbo, is, is responsible for breeding up a certain number of bilbies oh, so that cute. they could be transported out there. And I just want to say one more bilby-related thing, which we didn't talk about be- before the podcast while we sipped oat milk uh, flat whites, or I did. But I interviewed a bilby guy called Frank Manthe once. Um, he was a Queenslander who did more to save bilbies than anyone else. He died in 2019. He was the nicest man in Australian conservation who ever lived. In fact, he was Australian Geographic's Conservation Guy of the Year. Every time I hear that bilbies are doing okay somewhere, I think of Frank Manthe and just know he was the most delightful man. If you met him in the street, you would not go, oh, there's a bilby saver. You know, you just <laughs> – but, but so, look um, – that is good news on bilbies. And very quickly, there's some good news on quolls as well. Another organisation um, has uh, thrown a bunch of quolls out into the Barrington Tops, just northwest of Newcastle. They've which thrown I love. them? Well, I think they might have uh, <laughs> transported them very, very gently. Yeah, maybe. But, but no, no, quolls just toss them. Are, are, are another one of our marsupials that, that you know, struggle. Uh, we nearly wiped out. They, of course, are carnivorous. Uh, and they can go and uh, chew whatever they can find. <laughs> Hopefully not campers. Great place to camp, Barrington Tops, up there. So some good news going on as well. And one last bit of good news. Who's this farmer you've been telling me about all day? So this is a fantastic article from ABC News. Uh, basically, there's this Victorian cattle farmer, Bruce Logan. Bruce. and. Bruce, and he has sold about 40 hectares of bushland on his property to a conservation organisation called Trust for Nature. And it's great news for species like the Leadbeater's possum and the helmeted honeyeater, both of which are endangered. And do you know how many Leadbeater's possums there are, well, at least lowland Leadbeater's possums there are still in existence? Like you said lowland, because I know that in the forests they're getting absolutely destroyed by logging activity in Victoria. So no, tell me, how many? 40. Yeah, that's not a lot of possums by any measure of possums. No. <laughs> What's the average measure of possum? <laughs> it doesn't possums. matter because that's not a lot. And, you know, the helmeted honeyeater is this absolutely gorgeous yellow bird. Yeah. And so this land that Bruce Logan has protected on his own farm, it adjoins this nature reserve called the Yellingbow Nature Reserve. And he's basically going to enclose it and hope that these species get a fighting chance to make this their habitat. So it's another optimistic story. It's a good story. And he's not the only farmer in Australia doing things like this. I want to say that. I mean, this story became, uh, you know, important because the helmeted honeyeater is a Victorian floral emblem, uh, faunal emblem, as is is the possum. Mm. So he's sort of sticking up for Victoria's faunal emblems. So he's a good Victorian. 
and uh, good for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I think that is an important point. Farmers love the land just as much as we do, and a lot of them are doing incredible conservation work. We should keep um, applauding them for it. All right, that is all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Before we head off, as always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Very well said, Elfie, as ever. And I'd just like to do my usual my usual reminder to ask people, please, uh, no big sticks, just a humble request to subscribe to the newsletter. It's got some great feedback. Thank you so much for last week's one when, when we talked about the brown snake. The brown snake was, of course, the Brisbane River, which along which three seats have turned green, mm-hmm. two of which were Liberal, one was Labor. And we talked about the brown snake's place in Australian politics. People enjoyed reading that. Promise we'll have something just as enjoyable this week. Email hello at thegreencanary.co to get yourself on the list. That's a bit of an order, really. Let's be serious about that. And also, um, it's a bit of an order to follow us on Twitter. If you're not already, we are at Green Canary Pod and we're at Green Canary Media on Instagram. That'll just about do it for me. I think I'm going to get another oat milk soy flat white thing <laughs> Elfie <laughs> you gotta get used to ordering it Anne <laughs> you gotta get used to saying it alright we will see you next week and thank you so much for joining us bye, bye.